Hello and good morning. You are very welcome to this Euractiv debate on the Gigabit Infrastructure Act. Now, earlier this year, the European Commission put forward its proposals aimed at streamlining the world of connectivity across the European Union. And today's event is especially timely as the ITRA Committee in the European Parliament, that's the Industry Committee, adopted its position. So we will be hopefully joined later by the Rapporteur and MEP to discuss that as well. Let me introduce you, however, to our speakers today who are going to guide us through this very important act and what it might mean down the road in terms of implementation, in terms of enforcement, and in terms of what it will mean for Europeans and consumers in their connectivity and digital needs for the next decade or so. Joining us from DG Connect in the European Commission is the Director of the Connectivity Department. It's Camilla Clock. Thank you so much, Camilla, as always. We also have Emilio Davila, who is the Digital Transformation Seconded Expert at the Permanent Representation of Spain to the EU. Mika Direct is Councillor for Digital and Telecoms at the Permanent Representation of Belgium to the EU. Kostas Masalos is Chair of the Barrack and President of Hellenic Telecommunications and Post Commission. Thank you very much, Kostas. And last but by no means least, Leo Geert van den Berg is the Interim CTO and Executive Director of Technology for Vodafone Zigo. Thank you all so much for joining us. It's going to be, I hope, an interesting and fruitful conversation. And I would like as many of you as possible to jump in with your thoughts and really get into the meat of what this might mean. But I'm going to start, Camilla, with you, because the Commission proposed this act with very clear aims in mind. So tell us a bit about that, how we got to where we are today, and what were the main considerations in proposing it. Thank you very much for your question, uh, Jennifer. Uh, indeed, we we propose this act because we have done evaluation of the previous directive, the Urban Cost Reduction Directive, and the results were not too encouraging. I think the problem which we encountered was that with directive, which was also giving a lot of flexibility to uh, to to uh, member states in terms of how they could interpret at the end of the day the rules was very long uh, and was not super effective and uh, basically did not allow us to achieve what, what we wanted. That's why we decided also to go this time for regulation. For us, this is, GIA is, Gigabit uh, Infrastructure Act is basically legislation that would allow us to enable faster, cheaper, and more efficient rollout of gigabit networks. Uh, it is also very much essential element of our broader strategy uh, with Digital Decade connectivity targets, in, in particular the gigabit connectivity for all. So for us, it's essential element of our broader approach to connectivity sector, making sure that we indeed uh, reach the targets and it's essential puzzle in this in this bigger picture. Thank you very much, Camilla. And I know there have been some pushbacks and certain elements, and as always with anything proposed by the Commission, it goes through a series of changes. We will talk about that over the next hour and a half. So we're going to turn now, as I said, to our rapporteur uh, on the Gigabit Infrastructure Act from the European Parliament, Alan Mituta. Alan, there was a vote yesterday. Tell us where we're at. Give us the latest news for those who haven't had a chance to read it overnight. Yes, thank you, Jennifer, and great to, to be here with you. Indeed, we had a vote yesterday in the ITRE committee, and it was a successful vote because uh, our position was adopted largely. 
48 votes in favor, only one against. So we have a very strong mandate now um, to negotiate uh, with the council. We hope that the council will also reach uh, very soon uh, a compromise text and we will start the, uh, of course, the, the negotiations. Um, I think as Camila also said, this is a very important uh, piece of legislation because um, you know, we, uh, we talk very much about AI, we talk about uh, data, economy, but all of this is not possible without having the necessary infrastructure. So the uh, Gigabit Infrastructure Act is really the centerpiece of the economy of tomorrow, of the AI uh, uh, aspects of the economy of tomorrow, of the data economy that we try to build in the European Union. And I think this is really uh, the, this GIA uh, Act, as I said, it's an essential uh, element of this um, of this puzzle. Uh, basically, in what uh, we we um, adopted yesterday in ITRE, we try to um, to have a better version of the what the Commission put on the table. I must say that the Commission did a, a great work um, and. Uh, from the start, uh, the, the proposal of the Commission was very good. We tried to to better it in in some uh, in some areas, um, such as, for example, we put a lot of emphasis on um, um, rural areas and scarcely populated areas. And there, we um, uh, we have a stronger text now. Uh, I think um, uh, we also managed to um, introduce. Um, to have a better, let's say, framework for the tower companies, which are essential in the uh, in supporting uh, gigabit infrastructure in the in this um, scarcely populated and uh, rural areas, uh, and uh, we also uh, try to um, uh, simplify a little bit the procedures. We also shorten the deadlines for permit granting to two months. Uh, extendable by three months. In the Commission proposal, we had three months, and then extendable by uh, without limit. So I think this goes uh, in uh, in the direction of helping uh, the the um, um, the companies to extend their gigabit infrastructure in the European Union, as it is the objective of the uh, Digital Decade program, which says clearly that by 2030 we must provide European citizens and companies with uh, gigabit uh, uh, access uh, all over Europe. So this is very important for us. Uh, we, uh, we have a strong mandate now in the parliament and I'm happy to discuss the, the elements, uh, specific elements of our proposal. But I think, as I said, this is, um, this is a very strong test that we have on the table and we are looking forward to negotiate with the, with the council. Well, indeed, we are going to be talking now to, to two representatives from, from different countries, from Spain and Belgium, because, of course, the question of harmonization across the EU is a big one, and it's going to, it could become one of the sticking blocks because not all countries are operating from the same position. Let's start, Emilio, with the uh, perspective of Spain. Yeah. Thank you, Jennifer, and uh, thanks for, for organizing this event. More than the, the, the perspective of Spain uh, is uh, the perspective of the presidency of the council that <laughs> I will try to talk uh, about. So, as you know, uh, digital economy is one of the uh, pillars of uh, our presidency 
of the council and why because uh, in this uh, challenging world that we have now uh, we believe that um, digital transformation and, and technologies uh, is uh, really key to preserve the, the, the competitive position and the leadership of the european union in the in the in the, the global context and uh, uh, we agree with uh, what uh, both uh, the commission and the uh, and the parliament has said, and I think that uh, following the discussion on, at council level, uh, this is clear that everybody is uh, interested uh, in uh, having the, uh, the gear approved uh, as uh, soon as possible. And uh, this is one of the, of the important files within the, within the Spanish presidency. Why? Because as, as um, the, the previous speakers have explained, um, connectivity is key if we want to ensure all the position of the European Union globally, but also to uh, guarantee the, the, the connectivity and the targets of uh, the digital decade uh, 2030. And uh, more than that also, if we want to, to uh, reach all the benefits that uh, the, the digital transformation can bring to both business and, and citizens, uh, we need to have a, a reliable um, and uh, uh, connectivity that arrives to all in order also to to bridge the, the digital the divide uh, and in that sense uh, uh, we think that the, the GIA is an important piece of legislation that could bring uh, both uh, legal security but also could uh, uh, reduce the cost of the deployment of uh, of the broadband uh, and gigabyte uh, gigabit infrastructure in the union camilla has explained that uh, unfortunately the the previous directive didn't uh, reach the target so we are trying to work uh, in the council to also have a, a common position and this is uh, one of the priorities of the spanish president to have at least a general approach or a mandate to be able to negotiate with the with the parliament and uh, with the commission uh, before uh, either uh, we have demanded uh, by the end of the presidency and then we will see depending on the the, the current discussions uh, in the council whether we can uh, start already the negotiation within the spanish presidency or we can only launch it and then uh, uh, support the next presidency with, with the belgian in order to conclude but uh, i think that uh, at council level everybody believes that this is an important file and um, we should have um, before the end of the term of the parliament and the commission um, the, the, the file approved thank you Thank you very much indeed, Emilio. Well, uh, Mika, Emilio has set it up there rather for you because Belgium is, of course, taking over the presidency from January. Um, give me the perspective, if you like, from Belgium and then, as, as, as Emilio pointed out, taking over the reins of the council. Thank you, Jennifer. And let me start with congratulating the rapporteur as well for the very convincing votes he, uh, he received yesterday. And indeed, as he mentioned, a very strong mandate to start the negotiations. Um, indeed, and I think as previous speakers have said, uh, there's definitely a shared responsibility from the Council and the Parliament to adopt the best legislation possible um, to help the sector deploy the um, high-speed broadband networks and to help them reach the digital decade target, because that's what it's all about. And from our perspective, uh, Belgium is one of those countries that is lagging behind a bit on the fiber rollout. Um, but I see today our telecom operators are deploying fiber, they are opening the streets. Um, so timing is really key, timing is of essence. 
And as you know all very well, it, it takes quite a while in Brussels um, before legislation to kick in, to come into force. So um, it's, it's today the operators are deploying their fiber and not in 2027, 2028. So um, that's why the negotiations on the Gigabyte Infrastructure Act will definitely be a core uh, file, a core priority during the Belgian presidency. Uh, together with our Spanish colleagues, of course, we are very determined to bring this file successfully over the finish line before the end of the legislative mandate. Now, looking at the discussions in the Council, um, and Camilla and Emilio have said it before, the current BCRD has not been effectively enforced or implemented in some countries. So, uh, from the Council perspective, it's very important that the um, the, the rules and, and the measures that are in the text will actually be effective. And we see that the current proposal represents um, a considerable financial and also administrative burden for especially for local authorities, public sector bodies, but also for telecom providers um, and owners of public physical infrastructure. So many member states have stressed it is important to reduce this burden to the extent possible to make sure we have an effective and successful instrument. And uh, that the, the, the benefits of the, the Gigabyte Infrastructure Act can really be, um, be reaped. So there has been some concerns raised by the member states regarding the implementation deadlines. Um, so yeah, timing is of essence, timing is key. Um, however, member states do see they need sufficient time to properly implement the um, improvements that have been proposed by the Commission in the GIA compared to the BCRD um, and to make sure they provide the additional resources as well, um, especially regarding the digital, digitalization of the single information points. So um, also, for example, the shortening of the deadlines for dispute settlement bodies to sort out disputes is something that some member states fear might not be realistic and might not be applicable in practice. So these are some issues that we will be further looking at uh, in the coming weeks at the um, within the Council with the member states. And then, as Emilio said, we hope to start negotiations together with the Spanish presidency, of course, as soon as possible with the parliament, because they are definitely ready to kick off the negotiations. Thank you indeed. We are going to come back to that question of timing because there are parliamentary elections next May and we have got the digital decade running away from us. It'll be 2024 by then already, which is taking us very close to 2030. But Costas, let me turn to you for the regulator's uh, position. Um, picking up on some things Mika said, tell us a bit about what are the changes with the GIA and how do we avoid the pitfalls of the BCRD and, and make sure that this time we get it right? Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. It's really great to be in this, this panel today. Uh, well, let me, let me start briefly with the general context for the Gigabit Infrastructure Act. Um, we know the objectives of the Digital Decade Policy Program. They are very ambitious with regards to ICT and uh, build around safe and secure digital infrastructures. And indeed, telecommunications networks uh, is the, are the platform for digital transformation and digital economy. 
And on top of that, we need to also consider sustainability objectives. So we, we face uh, a twin digital and green transition uh, challenge in a less than favorable economic environment of high debt, high inflation, high interest rates. Um, specifically with regards to connectivity, we have two very ambitious connectivity objectives, one gigabit per second fixed connections for all users in Europe by 2030 and coverage by uh, 5G or equivalent wireless networks uh, of all populated areas in Europe. And if uh, we see the developments so far in Europe, they are quite good. Uh, for example, we have 81% uh, coverage with 5G today in Europe. Uh, however, this is mostly based on a spectrum of 4G and uh, deployments around the very important 3.6 gigahertz spectrum are more limited and the coverage is 41%. And uh, more or less we have a similar uh, situation with fiber networks deployment uh, with a coverage around 55% and penetration much less. and so we, we we still need to improve and um, also compare to other regions of the world like uh, south korea china us uh, japan united arab emirates so we need policy and regulatory action to address investment challenges first to optimize costs and speed up network deployments and also address the demand the demand side because we need uh, networks to be uh, available to european citizens and uh, financially viable in the long term so uh, in this direction gigabit infrastructure act legislative proposal aims to facilitate and stimulate the rollout of very high capacity networks by optimizing administrative procedures and civil engineering costs. So obviously contributes in uh, achieving uh, the very ambitious objectives we have defined for 2030. Uh, the Gigabit Infrastructure Act, in my opinion, addresses three broad issues. The access to existing physical infrastructure and coordination of civil works, the in-building physical infrastructure, which is very important, and maybe we will come back to this later, and the procedures for granting permits. Three very critical points. Uh, differences compared to BCRD of 2014, um, it's a regulation. The proposal is for a regulation and not a directive this time. The scope is more focused on very high capacity networks um, all uh, the requests for access to physical infrastructure have to be met not only by electronic communication network operators but also by operators of associated facilities and public sector bodies and this is this is important very important and central uh, is the single information point foreseen in the Gigabit Infrastructure Act. So operators uh, of networks or associated facilities and public sector bodies have to make the minimum information concerning their passive 
infrastructure available in this single information point as well as the planned civil works the dispute settlement body is also very central and deadlines deadlines indeed have been reduced with regards to dispute settlement and um, there are also new provisions for permit granting authorities trying to reduce deadlines and speed up the administrative processes so in 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 a summary these are the key points of gigabit infrastructure act which i believe is a very important component policy tool in order to allow us achieve our connectivity objectives for 2030. thank you costas um leo Geert, let me uh, turn to you uh from the if you like the industry side you have a lot of as they say skin in the game give us your uh, reaction to the proposal and where you think the direction of travel is and what we will end up with eventually. Yeah, thanks, uh, Jennifer. And we thank the uh, EU institutions for engaging in the debate around the future digital networks of Europe, as they will be the enabler of future innovations and future growth in the EU. So if we indeed uh, specifically look at the Netherlands, uh, we see that we have already met one of the 2030 digital decade targets as were set by the commission being the nationwide coverage of gigabit networks. Uh, as of December 2022, when we completed our gigabit rollout, we are providing nationwide coverage of our fixed gigabit infrastructure using our hybrid fiber coaxial DOCSIS standard. Nationwide, meaning 92% of all the homes passed in the Netherlands we reach, which, is, uh, which equals to approximately 7.3 million households. So this network uses mostly fiber and provides coax coaxial links in the last mile, which, which gives us a great advantage to limit our digging activities using mostly existing infrastructure. Uh, going forward, we see a bright future for HFC network infrastructure, which will be in a head-to-head -head competition with full fiber players, and which will reach speeds up to and beyond 10 gigabit per second in the medium term, using the so-called DOCSIS-4 technology. We also have been engaged in a network test in May earlier this year, where we reached speeds higher than 15 gigabit per second. So we believe that the Dutch case shows that using HFC networks can prove a very efficient way in continuously upgrading European future networks. And we would therefore also, in that sense, urge the European Commission to continue their technology neutral approach regarding the implementation of future networks and therefore the continuation of the notion of very high capacity networks, VHCN, which enable the inclusion of other hybrid forms of network infrastructure like HFC in the total European digital strategy. Thanks. Thank you very much uh, for all of your opening positions. So I think we've really set the scene um, but there is a lot to debate and to discuss, and I want to remind all of the audience tuning in today that you can put your questions to our panelists. You can scan the QR code there that you see on the screen, or go to slido.com and use the hashtag gigabit. And I see some of you already taking the opportunity to type into the box underneath the video to put your questions to our panelists. So we will try to get to as many of those as possible before our time runs out. 
Camilla, let me come back to you um, and ask you about this question of how to achieve harmonization. I mean, how can the EU ensure that the legislation is harmonized? There are very different starting points across the different EU 27. And I know we're saying it is a regulation, not a directive, which guarantees a certain amount more of harmonization. But there's a huge difference between different member states with regard to the degree of blanket duct coverage or with regard to fibre to the home deployment. Tell me about those considerations when you put forward a proposal like this. Thank you very much for your question. Um, yes, indeed, uh, there are differences between member states, and I think it was already mentioned by uh, by Costas uh, and uh, by other um, uh, speakers before that. In some expect, in some extent, we are getting on coverage uh, in terms of gigabit connectivity relatively close to the targets that, that we achieved. But there are many member states also and all the regions, in particular the rural areas, that are certainly lagging behind. So this, uh, this regulation is, in our opinion, absolutely needed to make sure that we have the, 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 the we achieve the coverage uh, targets of the DPP in terms of the gigabit connectivity. Going back to the legal uh, form of uh, what we proposed, the reason why we propose regulation, as and I'm very happy to hear that um, that it is very much recognized by many of the of the speakers, uh, was to ensure that we handle the problems that we have experienced with, with directive. But regulation gives, it is minimum harmonization instrument. So it gives flexibility to the member states to approach their specific situations. So it's not like it is very firm rules on everything set in stone. Mm. Uh, it gives the necessary uh, flexibility to the regulators, to the member states, to address specific issues and to move ahead. So I think this is important, and this is also important for the negotiations that we have uh, ahead of us. That's one element. The second element, which makes us more optimistic that uh, with regulation we might address um, issues uh, faster than uh, what we were trying to do with the directive is the fact that the regulation entry into force would be simply quicker. So we don't have to go through lengthy, sometimes transposition process in the member states, as it was also the case with broadband cost reduction directive. So I think this mix of elements that regulation provides us, first of all, it's minimum harm organization so it sets some general rules uh, but it gives flexibility to member states local authorities on exact uh, interpretation and implementation of these rules uh, respecting basically the local um, local uh, circumstances on the other hand it also allows us because it's regulation for the entry into force that should be relatively quick which would be one of my big pleas to the legislators when we discuss this regulation in the in the in the uh, in the trilogues that we also need to ensure that what we agree is entering into force uh, quickly so we have we can see the benefits on the ground as quickly as possible the digital decade is around the corner 2030 so we really need to see these rules applicable as quickly as possible thank you alan speed is of the essence uh, i'm sure you're aware of the clock ticking down for the term of the european parliament how are you going to approach these trialogue negotiations uh, after the, the Parliament plenary has approved the position, I presume? Um, is speed at all costs the real way forward, or are there going to be sticking points and red lines that you won't cross? 
Yes, thank you. Um, first of all, I fully agree with Camila by saying that uh, we need this, uh, this new piece of legislation in the form of a regulation because we saw already that uh, the directive didn't provide us uh, with uh, the necessary uh, legal instruments in order to ensure that we have this kind of harmonization which will allow us to reach the 2030 targets. So this is important uh, to, to have a regulation. It's important also in, in, in uh, terms of uh, uh, speed because uh, regulation doesn't, uh, doesn't need uh, an implementation at the member states level. So uh, it will be implemented uh, directly uh, in the member states. And this is very important. Then on the, uh, in, in the sense of the negotiations, I think for us, uh, for the parliament, we already sent a clear message by having the vote uh, yesterday in ITRE uh, after only a couple of months of uh, uh, negotiations. We negotiated quite fast in the parliament because we think that the Gigabit Infrastructure Act it's uh, really important not only because we have elections next year and we want to finish our work by the end of the mandate but also because what I said in the beginning of a discussion the fact that this is a centerpiece of legislation and we need to build on this in order to uh, to have the other uh, the other parts of the puzzle which will um, complete the the connectivity package. So I think um, uh, this gigabit infrastructure act is very important, as I said. And uh, we are looking forward to 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 start the trialogues as soon as possible. I know that the council and the Spanish presidency are doing a great job in the council in order to to have a mandate. I'm and I'm. Uh, confident that we can start the trilogues uh, as soon as possible. Uh, I don't know, maybe maybe uh, we can have some trilogues this year. Uh, ideally, it would be to close the deal this year, this year. But of course, this would depend a lot on what will be the position of the Council. The position of the Parliament is now adopted and transparent. So we are looking forward to see uh, if we'll have major discrepancies between Council and Commission, Council and Parliament. But uh, I'm, uh, I'm optimistic that uh, we'll have uh, uh, good negotiations in the trilogues, as I said, as soon as possible. Well, I think, uh, Emilio, now is a good time to bring in one of our questions from uh, Theo Hartmann, asking whether the Spanish presidency will push for tacit approval principle in its second compromise text at the Council. Uh, that, that could prove problematic for some member states. What's your plan on that? Well, you will allow me not to enter into such a level of detail when we are <laughs> discussing now what will be the, the compromise test and we are checking with uh, all the different delegations and, and colleagues uh, how this can be done. But indeed, uh, as, as uh, some have anticipated in a slide, there are still, and uh, this is a fact, uh, some issues at discussion of the Council and why, because uh, at the Council level, uh, we want, uh, and I think this is a common uh, view from uh, all the different institutions, uh, to have uh, a, a, an effective instrument, which also be agile and flexible, adapted to the different situations for the member states. And this is uh, what uh, we are trying to, to achieve uh, with the, the second compromise from the Spanish presidency. So looking at all the different situations that are in the member states, seeing what are the, the legal reality, and um, uh, working also 
with the, the to together with the, the, our legal service in order to find out which are uh, the possible ways to keep uh, this uh, push for a, a minimum harmonization uh, which uh, would allow a reduction of burden of bureaucracy at uh, eu level whilst uh, keeping into account uh, the different uh, realities of uh, the member states. Uh, and this is what we are doing now, and this is where we're trying to, to, to put in the second compromise. Uh, and we hope that this could be acceptable by the different delegations, because again, the aim of everybody is uh, to uh, have it uh, approved uh, as soon as possible. But of course, uh, we don't need uh, to forget that we need the right balance uh, in order to have uh, a real uh, effective uh, instrument which also should allow to, to as somebody has said, to, to promote the investment in the, the GKP. So we are considering all the, the, the possible options in order to uh, try to find a, a compromise with uh, all the member states uh, as soon as possible. But we will see what happens with the discussions. Thank you. Well, Mika, um, by the time this falls to the, the Belgian presidency, obviously um, a lot of work will already have been done. Um, but let me ask you then about the specifics of how to preserve best practices from different member states uh, as you really get into the fine-tuning of uh, the, the Act, and then looking ahead to what enforcement like look like. I will come on to Costas for that, but Mika, tell me a bit about preserving a, a floor, if you like. Yeah, that's an interesting question, because um, actually during the most recent um, ministerial council we had in June, the Telecoms Council, there was a debate between the ministers on how to foster the, um, the, 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 the telecommunications and electronic sector and, and how to uh, promote also the rollout of, of broadband and reach the, the digital decade targets. And um, what came out of the debate, or one of the things, was that many member states have already taken national or local initiatives, uh, very targeted, specific measures to help roll out the um, broadband in, for example, white zones. Or they had issued vouchers to um, for fiber deployment or 5G deployments. And um, the fact that these this local initiatives uh, have been taken already is one of the arguments that some member states use to um, actually change the form of the instrument to a directive because they fear that if the GIA would be a regulation, it would undo these um, local national measures. Now, this has been discussed in the council and we've seen that the Spanish presidency really clarified the issue of the flexibility, the national flexibility member states have and the issue of the minimum harmonization. So I think uh, many of the concerns member states have have now been um, addressed. Um, but it was stressed very much that um, the national uh, initiatives to promote the deployment of broadband should be um, able to stay around because as you mentioned also in your introduction, uh, there's a lot of different technologies, there's a lot of different um, underlying physical infrastructure in the member states, and so therefore there's no one-size-fits-all solution. Well, indeed there isn't, but there is an aim to get everyone to the same standard. Costas, what would Beric like to see perhaps in terms of improvements or developments, uh, given that there is a still a small bit of room for maneuver in the act uh, well indeed i think in 
policy and regulatory work we can we will always find room for for improvement but first of all i would like to say that berek welcomes the initiative from the commission uh, for the gigabit infrastructure act as i said uh, we believe this is a very important building block tool regulatory tool to achieve the 2030 uh, connectivity objectives and targets. Uh, of course, we can always identify some some points that could be uh, could further uh, enhance the impact of, of Gigabit Infrastructure Act. Um, for example, Berek thinks it is important to also include uh, state aid funded. Uh, electronic communication network deployments in order to ensure in the scope of gigabit infrastructure act in order to ensure that public funds are also used as efficiently as possible so a kind of uh, making the scope of gigabit infrastructure act broader would be would be interesting and uh, also maybe include the network the deployment of network elements that can contribute to very high capacity network deployments, for example, fiber rollout in general, uh, would also enhance uh, the impact of Gigabit Infrastructure Act. Um, uh, with, uh, uh, with regards to the deadlines and the administrative processes, of course, uh, one of the important aims of Gigabit Infrastructure Act is to speed up the deployment and the, the relevant administrative processes. Uh, in some cases, this reduction in deadlines, uh, of course, they will speed up the processes, but may, we need to, to consider also the quali quality of the decisions and whether uh, this um, uh, a compromise in the quality of the decisions could cause any counter effects. Uh, in the end. So instead of speeding up the deployment, maybe have some slower rates because of compromised uh, quality of, uh, of the decision. And for example, you mentioned tacit approval of rights of way. This could fall uh, under this, uh, this, this case. Um, also, we believe uh, that the coordination of civil uh, work should also uh, apply to fully or partially publicly financed civil work, including associated facilities, but should not prevent coordination of privately financed civil work, as this would also contribute to the achievements of the Gigabit Infrastructure Act. And uh, some member states have already introduced schemes like this. So overall, I believe Gigabit Infrastructure Act addresses very relevant issues it is very important tool to allow us achieve uh, our connectivity objectives toward 2030 in our opinion there is still room for improvement well i think as you said as you said at the outset that there's always room for improvement nothing is ever 100 percent perfect especially not in the policy world however we can get on the right track so leo Gert, i've asked for the regulator perspective on what needs to improve Give me your perspective uh, from a, an industry side, as it were. 
Yeah, I think the well, a couple of things that already have been said, and I want to emphasize the what is important from our point of view is the technology neutrality uh, point of view, um, where indeed um, hybrid networks like the HFC network that uh, we have in Vodafone Zego in the Netherlands, it, it can deliver multiple gigabit speeds now and in the midterm future. Uh, and the advantage of using that is that we only need to open up the ground on a, on a macro network level and not for every individual household, which limits the disturbance for customers to an absolute minimum, uh, unlike the fiber deployments that are currently ongoing. Uh, and to add, I think the, uh, we should not be looking at uh, one size fits all solution. There can be local initiatives that, 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 that are different as long as they meet the Gigabit Act, the Giga Act uh, requirements. Eh? So it's not one size fits all, but local initiatives can also be working very well in this uh, respect. Thank you. Um, Camilla, this question of technology neutrality is one that has been uh, leveraged as a criticism against the proposal. Uh, how do you react to that? It's, it's a big talking point. First of all, I don't see uh, the reason for uh, for this criticism because technological neutrality is uh, fully enshrined in the proposal. As you know, basically all articles are based on the very high capacity networks um, definition that is in the code, which is based on the on the basically performance of the networks. Currently, indeed, including uh, in the way we measure it, toxis free zero, uh, also for the purpose of the measurement of the um, digital decade uh, connectivity targets. I think where, uh, and there is, on the other hand, I have to admit that what we see for sure for the, in terms of the developments right now, right now in the market is slow but sure shift from cable networks towards fiber networks. And we also see it in the context of uh, also um, cable companies. Some of them decide to enhance their uh, technologies and move to Doxis Free Zero, or even, as you mentioned, uh, test the Doxis for Zero. But majority of the developments we see in the market uh, is the shift towards uh, fiber. Uh, where I think the controversy might be starting uh, on the on the technology neutrality in the context of the GIA is uh, in two particular articles which are dealing with in-building provisions. So basically proposing fiber for in-building provisions. But here I really think that we got this right. Um, this is we really believe strongly that fiber is necessary in terms of the in-house building solutions. Um, and we also, what is very important, would like to mention that the in-house wiring is not part of the of the code provisions because the code provisions on very high capacity work networks and definition is addressing the issue of the networks. In-house wiring is not necessarily included under this under this definition. So I think we got it right. I think we are very much also in line with what we are talking not only in the in the code but also in the digital decade policy program, which indeed is focusing on the gigabit coverage uh, and is technology neutral. But here we are following the same trend. But in terms of the in-house wiring, we stay quite firm that it's necessary to. Uh, to have fiber, uh, which is simply, in that case, the best solution and future-proof solution.
Alan, let me put the same question to you. Um, there's, there is a perception that this proposal isn't as technology neutral as it might be, um, that it, it, it emphasizes fiber rather than anything else. But how, how, how do you see that? Well, um, we have the targets uh, for 2030. For the moment, the, the, uh, the technology that we have, the most uh, advanced technology is fiber. So that's why we have uh, for the uh, for the inbuilding infrastructure, we have this uh, condition that it should be fiber. I think it's, uh, it's uh, only normal because we don't have other technologies. If we have other technologies that we could provide the same level of uh, speed, the same level of uh, trust, I think uh, we can evaluate the, the technology. But in this case, I think uh, it's uh, only normal that we use fiber. And uh, I think this is also mentioned clearly in the Digital Decade program. Uh, Leo Gert, let me come back to you to get your reaction to that. Um, I'm sure you have some thoughts. Yeah, no, it's um, clear and the points are well understood. Um, like we said before, we also in Vote van Ziggo uh, support all the new fiber technologies as well. When we do new build or when we connect new houses uh, to uh, new connectivity, we use fiber. When there is high rise buildings, 10 floors and above, we connect them all the way with fiber already these days. As of next year, new build, we will be doing with XTS on one of the fiber technologies as well. So we, we really believe in, in a mix of the technologies. Eh? Therefore, it's a hybrid fiber OX network in our case. Um, so it, uh, this, this mix is there. And the in-home part, uh, it was just mentioned as well, I think indeed is very important. We see that there is a big step up required when it comes to the in-home setup with many of the European customers, also in the Netherlands. And we are working towards what we call an all IP environment, making sure that everything in the house of the customer goes via the IP network, which is a lot more stable and gives a lot more extra capacity on the network to provide extra services. So these are definitely trends that we support from our side as well. Well, thank you. Costas, a uh, final thought on, on this technology neutrality question before we move on to other issues, of which there are many. Thank you. Um, well, indeed, we all know the advantages of fiber technology. Um, higher sp high speeds, um, scalability, reliability, uh, technology that has been proven in, in, in the field, uh, very clear roadmap to the future, energy dissipation, which is also very important. And we need to remember that um, we also have this, we have a twin transition objective, digital transformation, but also green transition. So energy dissipation is indeed relevant. So fiber is a very good technology. On, uh, on the other hand, uh, depending on the situation, and we discussed earlier about rural areas, for example, uh, hybrid technology solutions could be very interesting. Also, um, uh, for example, fixed wireless access can be an interesting technology for some rural areas where the deployment of fiber is very expensive and cannot be achieved without the use of, of subsidies. Um, with regards to the in building cabling that we discussed 
uh, earlier. Uh, well, indeed, if we stay on the basis that we also have alternative technologies that can achieve same quality of service, gigabit per second, for example, quality of service, then we can consider alongside the fiber in the building. Uh, so I think this is this is the best way to go. And if we exclude this point, I believe that Gigabit Infrastructure Act is technology independent. Uh, I mean, it addresses coordination of civil work, of access to passive infrastructure, granting permits and administrative procedures. So, so all these parts of Gigabit Infrastructure Act are indeed technology independent. Thank you. Um, turning uh, now to uh, some questions coming in online. Eric Masasic has asked a question for Aline, um, saying that the GIA expects a situation where fibre and duct infrastructures are available, but there are countries where no duct infrastructures are available. How are the investments into these new infrastructures for ducting protected towards a second mover which avoids the sunk costs and connect consumers with lower costs? Uh, uh, yes, thank you. Um, so the whole idea of the Gigabit Infrastructure Act is to uh, speed up the deployment of uh, Gigabit networks. Uh, and uh, I think having... Um, uh, this is the, the real, the, the most important part of the file. I think there are some cases, specific cases in some member states. I know that in Germany, uh, there are problems with not having the necessary infrastructure, but it's exactly what GI is trying to do. So I think, uh, uh, yes, GI is disruptive for, for some member states, but also helps them in order to, uh, to develop the, the, the infrastructure. So I think it will also help uh, countries which uh, lag behind, such as Germany. Thank you. Um, Emilio, um, let me ask you about this question of investment and, and how to maintain that. Um, do you see that uh, protection of telco investments um, will be enshrined? I mean, where are we going in terms of the direction of that? Um, we have a question from uh, P.S. Alexander Benzicek asking why the GIA does not allow protection of telco investments into physical infrastructure by the possibility to refuse ducks access requests based on the Nordic model. So uh, that, that situation that we've seen, that's a very different model there. Uh, they're based on Bitstream open access. Why, why are we not looking at that? Why should we look at that? Whether are there elements that we could consider? Tell me a bit about that in terms of looking at it from an investment protection point of view. Okay, uh, thank you for the question. Uh, I lost uh, your the, your connection a little bit during a moment, but I think you are asking how to ensure that uh, business models of the different actors across the value chain are not jeopardized by the uh, GIA. And um, honestly, uh, we believe that the GIA is to accelerate the deployment that is have been said, and this is clued, of course, uh, to have a, a sustainable business model also across the, the whole value chain. So, what we are considering also in um, in the compromise and uh, in the possible mandate. Uh, for the council is ensuring that uh, uh, within the, the the flexibility that I was mentioned and the adaptation to the to the different situations, but of course uh, the, the business models of uh, uh, the different um, 
stakeholders across the value chain, and in particular those that are working for Accelerate, because at the end of the day, all the GI uh, objective is to accelerate the deployment of the, of the connectivity, uh, will be respected. And honestly, we believe that uh, this can be uh, achieved, uh, and um, the gear should not pose uh, a big risk. We have seen that there are concerns, but uh, uh, taking into account this flexibility that uh, we are talking about uh, minimum harmonization, but at the same time being flexible, could uh, cope uh, um, um, provide the solution of maintaining the, the positive business model of uh, the current actors. Mika. Same question to you uh, regarding investment and, and perhaps consideration of the Nordic model. Uh, but also, let me add into that, how do member states strike the balance between private investment and leveraging public funding or state aid, for example? Uh, talk to us about the costs, the investment balance, and how we get that right. So those are two different questions. I think um, the first one regarding investments and, and the Nordic model, where we see a lot of wholesale-only operators, um, I think we should keep a clear distinction between the electronic communications code and the objectives of that legislation, which is to promote a connectivity, but also to ensure competition in the market. And the GIA, which is to promote the deployment of rollouts um, of, of networks and has a, a very different scope and, and objective. Um, so we should be careful not to, or, or we should be clearly delineating the, the two different concepts and not to distort too much the um, competition on the market and especially on the, on the wholesale uh, markets. Now, that said, the regulatory authorities, they can still impose uh, measures on the on the on access to networks uh, if they deem it necessary based on their market assessments. So um, in terms of granting access to ducts, this is a very specific uh, measure to take by national regulatory authorities, for which you would also need to have reasoned um, opinions and, and reasoned arguments. Now, the second question on um, the investment climate overall, well, as you know, this is also a much debated topic uh, currently in Brussels. And also during our last um, council discussion of the ministers, it was said by some countries that um, private investment alone is not sufficient to reach the digital decade targets. We've seen also a commission um, study being issued before the summer about the digital gap. I think um, there was some 150, 170 billion uh, euros still to be invested to reach the targets. So some member states are of the view that the state aid rules uh, should be um, more flexible to allow for a, a larger mix of state aid measures and private investments. Um, and the Spanish presidency is organizing actually a discussion on the future of telecoms again um, in the next month. So maybe Emilio, my colleague, can say a bit more about that. Um, and of course, we are all very much awaiting the publication of the commission with the um, conclusions of the um, exploratory consultation that was held before the summer as well. Thank you, Mika. Uh, well, Emilio, actually, I, I wonder, do you want to weigh in a little bit on that? Tell us about that meeting. 
Well, Mika has uh, explained it uh, quite uh, well. So that there is this informal council of ministers that is, will be organized uh, in Leon, and one of the of the point in the agenda is uh, exactly uh, the future of telecommunication and including the, how to deal with the needed in investment, uh, the combination private public investment needed to to. Uh, attain the the targets of uh, of the digital decade uh, and for that indeed the, the conclusions of the of the study will be very much welcome and, and we are looking forward to the to the discussions there in that council because also it could help uh, for the the, the the second part of the of the presidency to have a more clear idea on, on which kind of measures also uh, could be taken to to uh, towards the accomplishment of the digital target Leo Geert, let me turn to you. We have a question that has come in from Arnan Oberski saying, in the bigger cities of the Netherlands, the telecom providers may obtain a very strong position versus the city governments to ensure profit maximization due to the Gigabit Act. Has this been taken into account, for example, by making a difference between cities and rural areas in the legislation? Is this something that you've noticed? Well, we, we do see in the Netherlands, when we look at fiber rollouts, that indeed different approaches are being taken by different operators in different parts of the Netherlands. Um, I think for us as Vodafone Ziggo in the Netherlands, we, as I mentioned in my opening statement, 92% uh, coverage of all the households in the Netherlands. These are both in cities and as well as in rural areas. Um, we treat these areas the same when it comes to providing the same type of technology, the same type of HFC infrastructure, with a large part going over fiber and the last mile going over coax. So for us, there is no large distinction between uh, city areas or non-city areas. Um, and therefore, in the end, the, the products that are being offered to the customers in these um, uh, 7.2 million households and the 92% coverage are, are the same everywhere. So from that point of view, no, no distinction for us. Yeah. Thank you. Um, another online question, uh, this time from Andrew Cave. Perhaps, uh, Camilla, you would like to tackle it first. Um, it's regarding a key concern for SMEs, obviously, the backbone of the European economy. And the prospect for them is of digital exclusion as they can't relocate from poorly connected regions. What can or will be done to guarantee EU-wide network coverage? Maybe muted. Sorry, sorry for that. Uh, can you hear me now? I, I unmuted. Um, Yes, thank you for this question. I still would like to get back a little bit on the issue that was discussed uh, just a second ago by by my colleagues, uh, which is indeed uh, on the on the issue of the wholesale physical access uh, under the GIA and what we proposed uh, here. Indeed, we. There are differences between member states. Uh, what we proposed is as alternative, uh, basically dark fiber, in particular. We know that there, is, there are some countries that would like to more see other products which are more virtual products. Uh, but here we would like to raise a bit of attention that we should be, on one hand, of course, flexible. But on the other hand, there are also countries that basically do not provide any alternatives to the access to ducts then uh, basically the access to the ducts. So they don't accept, for example, dark fiber. So we have to find here the right 
balance for us, it's important to stay as much as possible in line with our original proposals. Now, going back to the question that was just posted, what we are doing in general for the uh, for the for the uh, basically situations of small and medium enterprises which are located in the areas that might not be as much connected as uh, as they should. So I think here we have several uh, elements that, that we are pursuing. One, of course, is what we already discussed, is that the Commission or the, Europe, the European institutions, the Europe goals, uh, for the uh, for the uh, uh, for the coverage are basically in terms of the fixed coverage gigabit coverage is to reach all by 2030 and as it was indeed mentioned by some of uh, colleagues panelists panelists before we are uh, in some countries the situation is almost achieving 100%. I think rightly it was pointed that Netherlands is one of those countries. In some, the situation is really mixed. This is why we also have this general goal, which is for everyone in the Europe to be connected with the gigabit connectivity. And that would be big solution for any problems, for this kind of connectivity problems for small and medium enterprises. We, of course, also have state rules, which are very much facilitating the, the broadband connections. And we have, of course, um, including very significant investments that are coming from the public money, both nationally, but also from the European fund. So we are doing a lot. We are trying to make sure that this connectivity is ensured for, for everyone. If I may, because there were also in, in discussions on the investment gap, um, indeed, uh, over the summer, we published a study prepared by WIC, uh, which is a very good uh, consultancy that is working a lot on the telecom issues and the investment investment needs that we they have identified in order to meet the digital decade connectivity targets are uh, 178 if I remember correctly. Uh, so they are still significant. Of course, again, the situation differs in different member states and uh, locally between rural areas and the urban areas. But this is the, the gap that had been identified by the consultant in the study that, uh, that we um, requested and which was published over summer. Well, thank you. Alain, would you like to maybe tackle that SME's question as well? What's in the Giga uh, Infrastructure Act that's going to make them feel comfortable and uh, reassured that the, uh, the European Union is taking their concerns into consideration? Well, the fact that uh, the Gigabit Infrastructure Act opens uh, access to physical infrastructure to, uh, to everybody, so that, that's something that goes uh, in favour of the SMEs as well. So I think this is clearly um, uh, something uh, that goes in their direction. And then, of course, when it, when we speak about financing and uh, uh, this is is not in the scope of the, of the Gigabit Infrastructure Act, but I think uh, Camila already mentioned the fact that this is uh, only the first phase in the developing of the uh, connectivity package. We need, of course, state aid. We need uh, uh, European money maybe for the for developing uh, the the networks and I think this will be the next the next phase uh, in this uh, in this uh, uh, broader debate. Um, and just a follow up question, Aline, because uh, I know I asked Emilio about this earlier on, uh, but it's coming up again and again in the online questions. This issue of tacit approval. Can you just give me your perspective on that? 
So if we want uh, our objective and the objective of the Commission as well in the proposal is to uh, speed up the, the deployment of, uh, of, the, of the network. So in order to, to speed up the, the, the deployment, we clearly need uh, very quick procedures. Um, the tacit approval goes in this direction uh, and I think it's a good idea. I know that in some, some member states this is difficult because it's not enshrined in the legislation and uh, for that reason in our uh, ITRE mandate we, we, um, we have a sort of, uh, we take into account this, this situation and for that specific, uh, for those specific cases we envisage uh, different, uh, different solutions. But I think the tacit approval, it's a good idea. And uh, of course, it puts a, a little bit of pressure on the local authorities, but uh, we need to, to find the right balance here between um, uh, you know, the objective of the GIA, which is to, to, to speed up the, 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 the deployment and uh, the, capa the administrative capacity uh, at local level, at uh, national level, which uh, this, I think this uh, administrative capacity maybe has to be, um, uh, it needs to be uh, better, I think. Mika, let me turn to you as well, again, with the same tacit approval principle, because it is one that's come up. Um, did you or do you anticipate uh, pushback from member states? Yeah, there was quite some pushback from the member states. And I should clarify um, that none of the member states are against the objective of speeding up the um, granting of permits. Um, the main pushback was regarding the way the proposal in, in Article 7 uh, was written, um, because it discards the, the administrative procedures within the member states, and therefore it was written in a bit let's say, to simplify its manner. Um, so that's why it raised some constitutional concerns from member states, um, discarding also the, the third parties and property owners, especially in, in rights of way. Um, it also breaches the competences of local and regional authorities. So that were the main concerns of the member states. Um, now, looking at the uh, compromise that was struck in the Parliament, it, it's very interesting and it's definitely something we can uh, work with. And I think the text in the Council is traveling in the same direction, um, that we, we would need to set a clear signal to the local authorities that a permit has to be granted within a certain mandate. However, for the member states, it is important to have this explicit approval and um, not the idea of the tacit approval, which then also can cause legal uncertainty for the operators, for the telecom operators, if they don't have an actual approval, um, a document that states their permit was approved, um, because then they're in a sort of uh, limbo situation. So it is a, an article that we're still discussing a bit further. Um, the Spanish presidency already made large improvements in their first compromise sec text. But during our last meeting before the summer, it was clear that we still need to um, work on it further. And um, we're also very happy with the uh, outcome in, in the parliament, taking into account these exceptional situations where member states can um, actually take a bit more time to assess also, for example, regarding critical infrastructure, whether permits can be granted or not. 
Thank you. Costas, let me bring you in on a slightly different uh, topic. What about the interplay between the GIA and the gigabit recommendation? Um, are there any issues that need to be considered there? Well, thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. Um, indeed, Gigabit Infrastructure Act and Gigabit Recommendation have been both presented in February as part of the connectivity package. In principle, they aim at addressing similar issues, civil engineering costs related to the deployment of very high capacity networks and how we can reduce this, this cost and speed up the deployment of very high capacity networks. However, there are certain differences, of course, in the two instruments. Gigabit, Gigabit Infrastructure Act is kind of symmetrical regulation addressing uh, access to passive infrastructure from uh, network uh, providers, but also from other utility providers and different infrastructures and public sector. So it's more general with regards to this. Uh, Gigabit recommendation is linked to SMP regulation and addresses uh, issues like more uh, competition and how to, 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 to keep the balance uh, between speeding up network deployments through uh, uh, joint use of infrastructure, but at the same time, there is the competition aspect. So I would see the general objective of both instruments as common, of course, speeding up network deployments, but different focusing on two different things. Uh, Gigabit Infrastructure Act is, in my opinion, broader. Gigabit recommendation focuses on, on, on specific uh, part of SMP, SMP regulation. Uh, but maybe a couple of comments on two other issues that uh, we discussed. Um, one is about SMEs, and SMEs are quite central in the digital decade policy program. There is specific objective of the digital decade. One of the four key objectives of the digital decade policy program is to enable small and medium enterprises in Europe to have to use technologies like AI, cloud, and big data. And this can only happen with access to very high capacity networks for, for, for SMEs. And um, of course, it's true that there are areas where the deployment of very high capacity networks is challenging. And there, the main tool is indeed to use public funds and state aid. If I could give an example in Greece, we are about to start a huge project connectivity, one gigabit per second connectivity, for suburban and rural areas, about 800,000 uh, connections. Uh, and in these areas, there were no commercial plans for gigabit network deployments. And this is covered through structural funds for Greece. And this is the way to address this digital divide issue. Thank you. Um, Mika, we're going to come back to this question of timing again. Sebastian Lacroix is saying that some actions meeting the GIA targets are already ongoing in Wallonia. Um, how do we have to look at the transition? Uh, will, will companies have to be in line with the digital decade deadline? What are the time windows? Uh, I think Sebastian just wants a good steer on what sort of windows and time frame we should be looking at. 
Yeah, that's um, that's a very relevant question, of course. Um, now, hopefully, and I, I'm actually quite sure that we will close the file or the negotiations on the file with the parliament together uh, before the end of the mandate. And then it will still take some time, of course, for the uh, lawyer linguists to um, translate the documents in, in all the different EU languages. And hopefully it can be published in the official journal by the end of this year. Um, now, of course, there will be needed sufficient implementation time for the member states um, and also for the operators, which have quite some new measures to abide with as well. Um, and as I mentioned in my introduction, um, member states are asking for sufficient time there to make the necessary uh, adaptions and to provide for the necessary resources, especially when it comes to the single information points and the changes that are needed there to digitalize the systems. And um, for the local authorities, this means extra resources, but also extra financial um, resources as well. So this is still under discussion, and I think uh, together with the Parliament, we will have to um, see what, where we can find a good balance between um, speed and between effective implementation, of course, because as we said, as, as we all said at the beginning, we want an instrument that is being enforced efficiently, that is working, um, that is um, there in, in reality, and not just a piece of paper um, like we've seen with the BCRD, where in some countries it wasn't really um, implemented efficiently. So keeping this goal in mind, um, of course, this will come back during the negotiations with the parliaments, uh, what can be a good implementation time for the member states to make sure that this is a successful instrument. Well, thank you very much. Um, Tony Shortall has a question on the recent Vic report, Camilla, that you had mentioned there, on the cost of hitting the 2030 target, saying that the report assumes no change in the rate of infrastructure sharing up to 2030. Is this fair? Do you expect a quicker impact for the GIA or how big an impact do you expect? Camilla, if you uh, tackle that and then I think I'll ask all of our panelists to give me a response on that question. So thank you very much. I will start with this one, but I need also to come back on some issues uh, that were raised before. Sorry for that. Uh, so on, indeed, the I, I we believe that VIC report is very, based on very sound methodology. I think it was very well prepared, but indeed it's very much looking into achievement of digital targets uh, under the current DPP, so 2030 can, targets with, with the gigabit coverage uh, for everyone and uh, 5G for the um, populated uh, areas. Um, if it takes enough into account what we would like to do here with GIA, all the streamlining, all the provisions allowing for better access to civil engineering, um, issues of simplification of procedures, etc., I think it's it's true that it cannot fully encompass all the elements. And we don't know yet how quickly this regulation will be in place. I just heard uh, Mette mentioning that the member states will need uh, will need time and the authorities will need time to to adjust. I think for us, what is important is to have in full force this regulation as of two thousand. 
25 because then simply it would be very difficult to for it to start working in order to achieve the targets of uh, 2030. So in short, I I strongly believe that the report by week is very much based on on the on the right methodologies on the current data. They couldn't take everything into into account, including the what we don't know how how much it would it would improve on the ground uh, the provisions on, of the GIA. Uh, also, it doesn't take fully into account the, what we are currently discussing, and it was also a bit mentioned uh, by uh, by colleagues from the from the council, from the representing the current presidency in the next presidency. Uh, we also see that there are certain technological trends that are coming from explanatory consultation that maybe have not been fully put into the current picture. We see the changes in the telecom uh, in the telecom uh, infrastructure, in the way the telecom operators are operating, in the way how technologies are simply changing the sector significantly, and this is not fully taken into account. Uh, now on the issues that I still wanted to mention on tacit approval, I think this is absolutely essential element of the proposal. Uh, and for, for us, for the Commission, the way we design this tacit approval is exactly based on what a little bit Miete was criticizing, which is simplification. We really believe that simplification of the procedures is necessary, simplification of administrative process. Uh, it also will reduce the efforts needed by the local authorities to, to go through the approval process. The second thing which might be worrying some of the member states, and I know that it's raised in the discussions, is that it's only tacit. But we live in the digital world, you know. Uh, I don't think uh, in majority of the cases companies need, need a paper uh, per se. Uh, this tacit approval is also very much used in many of the member states already. So I, I here I just want to add a piece of caveat that we do believe, and of course we are open to negotiations between co-legislators and we see the developments both in the MP text and upcoming uh, presidency text into probably the right direction, but what is absolutely essential in order for this proposal to work and work quickly is to have short deadlines, uh, to keep the tacit approval, and we already have provisions which are safeguarding some of the elements that uh, Miete was mentioning, for example, protection of property rights is and should explicitly. And uh, what is also important, competent authorities can extend the deadline in specific cases. So I think we address a lot of the issues that member states have been raising in the discussions, and we really hope that tacit approval will remain a very important part of the proposal and very effective one. And finally, on the, on the interrelation between GIA uh, and the gigabit recommendation, I think Costas made all the necessary uh, points. A gigabit recommendation is specific instrument related to the situation when there is significant market power of uh, companies on the market, specified market. So it's very much specific type of regulation why the Gigabit Infrastructure Act is symmetrical regulation. So in case when we in some cases have uh, access provisions envisaged under the gigabit recommendations. So basically the remedies are imposed by the regulators, specific remedies on specific operators under specific circumstances. These rules will, would prevail. Sometimes they go much stronger because they, they, there would be different pricing, for example, envisaged in such cases because GI is, of course, looking into fair and reasonable concept why regulators might look more into the cost orientation. Sorry. 
Thank you very much. I have like three points, but I wanted to make sure that I also refer to that. No problem at all, Camilla, and very timely as we only have a few minutes left. So I think you've, you've wrapped up very nicely uh, your position. Alain, let me turn to you. I'm, I'm going to ask you um, a question from João Goncaves uh, asking, do you agree that the GIA will have more impact in the 27 member states today that are far more reaching than even the 2030 digital decade targets? Uh, what sort of impact do you expect? Feel free to answer that, but also to give us your, your closing uh, arguments and discussions about how you think things are going to go as we look to the trialogue and we look to the next year. Well, the digital decade uh, targets uh, and the GIA are compatible. Actually, the, it's, uh, it's the GIA, it's a way in which we implement the digital decade uh, targets. And uh, I think uh, we, of course, we took a lot of um, um, inspiration from, from the Digital Decade uh, program uh, when we uh, discussed and negotiated also here in the Parliament the, um, uh, the Gigabit Infrastructure Act. Uh, I would say that as, uh, it's, uh, this piece of legislation, it's, uh, it's essential. And uh, I agree with all the speakers that said already that we need, uh, we need it to be adopted as soon as possible. Uh, I uh, reiterate the fact that we are expecting uh, the Council to uh, also adopt its position as soon as possible and then to start negotiations. I hope that uh, uh, we'll manage to have a successful negotiation with the Spanish presidency and with the Belgian presidency. And I'm looking forward to, 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 to these negotiations. Of course, uh, we are, as always, very open to discuss with the stakeholders and to listen to all the ideas, the good idea that's come, that comes from, from them. Thank you. Emilio, let me turn to you for a, a final reaction to what you've heard so far. Um, I will throw in as a final gambit uh, the, the position on, uh, of the Parliament to abolish extra fees of intra-EU calls. How do you think that's going to go in the trilogue negotiations from your perspective? Uh, and, and give us a wrap-up view ahead, please. Yeah, thank you. That's a good question because uh, actually in the council we are so far not yet discussing this because it was not part of uh, of the commission proposal. So so far we don't have a uh, uh, we don't have had a, a discussion on this point on a Monday, but of course we anticipate that this may be one of the tricky issues uh, uh, in the discussions and in the negotiations in the trilogue with the uh, European Parliament. But uh, we need to, to gather with uh, all the colleagues from other member states to see uh, how it is going. Uh, coming back to the point, uh, I think uh, for, for, for the wrap up, uh, that um, important thing is uh, uh, I think the three institutions uh, agree on the importance of, uh, of, the, G, of the GIA and that uh, we are all uh, Aiming at having the negotiations concluded by by before the end of the of the mandate of the Commission and of the uh, Parliament, uh, and because it's important for for complete the, the digital decade targets of the EU. So from the Spanish presidency, uh, what uh, we are sorry, what uh, we are trying to do is uh, to look at the different concerns. And we have talked uh, the need of flexibility and the need of considering the different legal system and situation in the different member states. This is what we are putting in the table. We believe 
that uh, with uh, these proposals, and by the way, we have seen some uh, of these concepts uh, brought into the into the mandate of the of the parliament. Uh, so uh, there should be some room to, to achieve that. And we believe that if we manage to have the strike, the, 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 to strike the right balance to ensure, uh, again, and this is important, an effective implementation later on, uh, rather than uh, going quickly, uh, only quickly, then this could be important. We have hopes that uh, with uh, the proposals that we will make for the new compromise, uh, we can uh, be very close to uh, an agreement in uh, in the council, but uh, we have to see also the reactions of the member states. So again, our this is an important file for the Spanish presidency. We are aiming of uh, having a, a clear mandate uh, before the, the conclusion of the Spanish president. The sooner we could have it, the sooner we could start the negotiations so with the uh, uh, parliament, uh, the better. But uh, we need to ensure that uh, there is a good text on the table. Thank you very much, Emilio. Uh, Mika, coming to you for uh, your last intervention. Um, I would be pleased if you could address the question of the investment gap, but also react to what you've heard from your fellow panelists and, and give us a look ahead as well as a closing remark. Yes, indeed. It's, it's a very positive file. It's a, it's a good file for the telecom sector, for the industry, but also for consumers and for member states. So you see also in this discussion, there's a lot of willingness from the co-legislators to um, make sure we get the best deal possible and, and a good legislation that is effective. Um, I think from the council perspective, also important to stress that um, member states should have the flexibility to still take those targeted local national initiatives. Um, and on the investment gap, yeah, I see that the GIA is one part of the puzzle. Um, of course, there is still the code. There is uh, an entire toolbox that is um, that policymakers in in the member states have to their disposition. Also, when it comes to state aid, so there is many pieces of the puzzle that will help in promoting broadband and reaching the digital decade targets. Um, on intra-EU calls, there is a strong signal from the Parliament, a strong desire there to abolish the surcharges. But as Emilio said. We still need to discuss it in the council, um, but I'm sure we will get there and I'm, I'm very positive we will have um, a good um, compromise between the co-legislators. Thank you. Um, Costas, as Mika just said there, the GIA is but one part of the overall puzzle in reaching those 2030 digital decade targets. Is it the right piece? Is it going in the right place? Um, give us your closing thoughts. Yeah, thank you, Jennifer. And maybe one comment about the investment gap uh, discussion. Uh, I, I don't know in details the assumptions of the week report that gives this estimate of 174 billion euros towards uh, digital decade policy targets and connectivity uh, targets for 2030. Um, I'm sure they have a set of valid assumptions, but infrastructure sharing is indeed very important and should be considered in this kind of analysis. So um, uh, the overarching uh, um, question for this panel was, can the Gigabit Infrastructure Act be a global leadership opportunity for the European Union? And I would say that 
the digital decade policy program objectives are indeed very ambitious. And if we are successful in achieving all these objectives, we will, European Union will have a leadership position worldwide. There are several objectives quantitatively defined that are very ambitious and we need to go uh, to go for them. Gigabit Infrastructure Act is for sure one key enabler towards these objectives and clearly in the right direction. But there are also other tools and other policy interventions needed to make sure that we achieve these very ambitious objectives towards 2030. Thank you very much. Leo uh, Geert, unenviably, when everything has, has been said, the last word falls to you to give us your closing thoughts. Uh, how optimistic about, are you about the Giga Infrastructure Act? Where do we see it fitting in in the coming decade? Yeah, thanks for that. Uh, and yes, obviously, we are very positive uh, about this. Um, and yeah, I also in line with the comments that were made earlier in the call, I also want to emphasize the fact that we see that the, the HFC technology has a great and bright future ahead. It will have a lifespan of another 20, 30 years, especially with the tests that uh, with the high speeds that have been done over the last few months. We also believe that the HFC technology is the right technology also for the in-home connectivity with the customer and that we're able to build on that going forward. And with the lifespan that we're looking at, we, if I'm not mistaken, this would also include the lifespan of the GIA policy framework. So, um, yeah, I think in that sense, we're, we're, we're in good shape and I fully support uh, yeah, the statements that were made by the previous uh, presenters as well. So many thanks for giving us the opportunity to be here. Thank you very much. And indeed, thank you very much to all our panelists. I do not envy you the work you have ahead of you in the trialogue. It's, it's going to be a hard few months to before we get to the end of the mandate. So good luck and good work. Please keep us posted on what's happening with the Gigabit Infrastructure Act, certainly one that we are going to see more of as it goes through trialogue and the legislative process even into next year. If you're interested in that and, of course, other debates on your active, keep following us online. Use the hashtag EADebates. Follow us on your active on the various social media channels, whichever when you choose, but all of us send a great day wish to you and please join us again soon.